Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we come together this morning and spend some time in your word, I pray, Lord God, that um, you'd speak to us. You, you're always speaking to us through lots of different things, but we gather, we set this time aside to read your word, look at the words on the page, and um, corporately learn from it. So Lord God, work, do your will today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's good to be with you again today. I'm glad you guys are all here. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of an introduction to this, this uh, next teaching series um, that we're going through. It's called Things That Hinder, um, and specifically we're going to be talking about things that hinder the ministry, all right? And when we say the ministry, I, I, sometimes what pops into people's brains is only the pastor, uh, and, and we just spent uh, the last four weeks talking about how ministry is all of us. And, and, and so when I say things that hinder, I'm talking about things that get in the way of what God is wanting us to do as a church. Uh, and so when I plan or prepare uh, to teach something, I, I, I go to God, of course, but, but a sermon series is usually filled with different elements, right? There's the Bible there's always something practical. There's a, there's a season of, of prayer that usually goes into, does God really, do you want me to teach on this? What parts of this do you want me to teach? Uh, what passages do you want me to use? Uh, sometimes it's in direct response to something that's going on in the life of the world, uh, the life of the church, maybe, maybe a circumstance that, that we as a community will go through. Uh, but, but usually what happens is at the end of every year in the fall, usually around October, um, I'll spend the whole month of October kind of preparing for what God might want me to teach over the next 12 months. I know that sounds crazy, but, but, it, but it is. It really is one of those things. Now, even though I plan it and prepare it with God's help, God changes it a lot of times um, as things go on, as the year progresses. But, but this year's different, right? I didn't know any of you in October, Right, so so I didn't know exactly, you know, just the, the whole the whole thing's kind of thrown out of the loop a, a little bit. But but here's what I know. Here's what I know for sure, which is why I'm teaching this this series. Here's what I know for sure: God is working already in the life of our church. He has been for a long time, but but in the last couple of weeks, God's been been helping people overcome things that they've been dealing with for a long time. God's been helping some marriages work through some stuff. God's been helping people in, in, in their finances, kind of getting a plan together. I mean, this is, I'm not going to share you who these people are, but there's people, uh, because I know, because I either have meetings or, or I hear the stories about this, this is, this is just amazing. God is doing amazing things in people's lives. Right? It's an incredible, incredible thing. But because God's doing great things, here's what I know I know, I know it's probably going to happen. Every time something amazing happens in the life of the church, there's, there's something that happens, right? The, the, the people experience something. Something great is happening, and, and, and here's, what, here's what happens. The enemy messes, up, messes with us. And, and it's not always the enemy all by himself. <laughs> you know, the enemy stirs us up. And sometimes the enemy puts hindrances in our way. So because of the pattern of life that I've experienced, the pattern that I see uh, in the pages of the scripture, and 
because I know God is doing some amazing things in the life of the church, I want us to be prepared for those things that are going to try to hinder us. They're going to try to get in the way of all the great things and the victories and, and the, the, the great things that are happening. This week alone is kind of heavy as a pastor. We've had family members of the church family who've, who've gone, to be, uh, gone to be with the Lord. I mean, it's, it's heavy. Uh, there's been some other struggles that, that have been going on behind the scenes in the life of the church. And, and these things are going to have this ability to sometimes distract us and get us, get us down and, and, and depressed. But, you know, the great thing is, as Pastor Danny said, these folks are with the Lord. You know, and though it's sad, it's also good. <clears throat> now, many of you know this, some of you don't. I've lived a lot of beautiful places, including Georgia. And Georgia is beautiful. God's country, as they say. But I've also lived uh, at least nine other places, probably 11, depending on who's counted, other states. Uh, that's an inside joke, and I'm very sorry. Inside jokes are terrible, aren't they? Right? You know, the people who aren't involved in it, they don't know what they are. Uh, I've been having different Sunday school classes over to my house every Friday night, and, and somebody made me count how many states I've lived in, and I thought it was 11, so I told them, and then I started, then they were like, count them. They told me to prove it. And I started counting, and I couldn't count up to 11 again. And I've been trying for three days so to prove myself not to be a liar. And I found 10, but I don't know where the 11th one went. So, so now nobody's outside of that joke. Gosh, I can't stand when that happens, when I get on a tangent that doesn't even matter. But I've lived a lot of beautiful places. This is back to where we're supposed to be. One of them was Hawaii, right? Beautiful, tropical paradise, right? I've lived in the Pacific Northwest where, you know, big mountains and and beautiful greenery everywhere, majestic scenery everywhere. I've lived for a short amount of time in the, the history, historical elements of the city of Boston. If you've ever been to Boston, it's one of those cities that, that a lot of it is still beautiful and still clean. I'm sure there's areas where it's not, but, but, but compared to most cities, Boston is an incredible place. Uh, to live. Each of them are beautiful in their own way, but here's what you'll, you'll never find. You'll never find a place, no matter how beautiful, no matter how perfect, no matter how amazing, that's free from the consequences of human sin. You'll never find it. Depravity is everywhere. People and their issues are everywhere. There are places that are beautiful, but you cannot escape those consequences of sin. Hawaii is one of the ones I want to tell you about. When, when you go there as a tourist or vacationing, you see the beauty, right? There's beaches and, and beautiful Polynesian people and Polynesian culture and amazing food. But when you live there, you see, because you're there long enough to see all the issues, right? Just like anywhere else, there's, there's drug addiction all over the place. There's not enough money to go around, as it, so it seems. There's poverty. There's people who are working three to four jobs because there's not enough good-paying jobs to pay the thousands, thousands of dollars it takes just to pay rent there. Can you imagine having to pay two, $3,000 a month for a one-bedroom, 500-square-foot or less place to live? So there's issues there. Beautiful, but also 
hard. The book of Job says this, Man who is born of a woman, all of us born, is few of days and full of trouble. Right? We have a short amount of time on this earth. We're all the same in the sense we're all, when we're all born, we're all born the same way. But our short amount of days is full of trouble. Just like the places I mentioned before, the church is beautiful. The bride of Christ, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, but not so perfect that it doesn't also have its struggles. Don't think for a second we aren't touched by the issues of sin. I mean, think about this for just a minute. Have you ever asked these questions? Why do so many people leave the ministry? And when I say ministry is why are people who are serving the church, either on staff or in leadership, why do they leave? Have you ever asked that question? Why do they leave? Right? There's statistics out there that are kind of scary. You know, the average pastor who go, is called into ministry, their five years are, are less, and then they're done. And then of those who leave the ministry, called by God to serve the church in a certain way, they are done, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. Have you ever asked that? Why? And, and a lot of people say, well, it's just the pastor's fault. You know, they, they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to work hard. But, but think about, other than the past, think about people who are in leadership in the church, in the local church. Something happens, and they leave, and they're hurt, and they're broken, and they leave, and, and they don't want to do anything with the church again. I've known families who were served the church, served the church, but then were treated a certain way. And then it took them years of their life, years to heal from it. And come back. The question, why do people leave the ministry? It's a big, big question. If the church is so great, there's another question. Why do people leave? Whether they're serving in leadership or not, why do people leave? If the church is so great, why don't people want to stay? Right? I mean, it didn't seem, I mean, I know Jesus had people who left him, but there were always seemed to be crowds of people who at least wanted to look and see. You know, they, they, they'd see the crowd gather and they all want to be there. And, and, you know, some of them, once they got into the teaching of Jesus, they would abandon things. But when they got into the big crowds, the crowds were no issue for, for Jesus and his teaching. But the church, that's where we seem to struggle, right? We, we have a hard time gathering the, the big crowds sometimes. If the church is so perfect, why is it so hard for people to work together? Right? Why isn't it easy but if every one of us is easy to work with and easy to get along with why, and, and saved by, by Jesus Christ, then, then why, why is it so hard for us sometimes to work together? Right? This is why I want to teach on this. It, because God is working amongst us, already amazing things are happening. But what I know is going to happen is I know, I know, I want to do my very best with God's help to prepare us so that when these hindrances come, and they're going to come, we're prepared for them. So that when, as we start to see God moving, and as we start to go forward, and as we start to see people climb over things that they've never climbed over before, as, as we as a church start, start doing things that God is calling us to do, when something pops up, we are, we are able to say, I knew that was coming, and, and, and that is not going to stop us from doing what God wants. The Hebrew writer says this about looking forward and thinking about this. He says this, 
Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin that so clings to us closely. Some of Bible translation, which I like better, that so easily entangles us. And then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is the intent of this, this sermon over the next few weeks, so that we don't get tripped up by the things that are going to pop up. So that we, we are prepared for them. The Apostle Paul says this about being prepared for what is ahead. He says, I don't train or run aimlessly. I don't throw punches in the air as if I'm punching something that's not there. Instead, I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Very clearly, he says, there's some training. There's some preparation. And that is the intent of this series. Now let's get a little bit more real. How about it? Let's get a little more real together. Here are some of the things that I want us to be prepared for. The first one is funny but true, right? Why do people leave the church? Why is ministry so hard? What are the things that are going to pop up? Here's, here's the issue. Here's the problem that, 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 that makes my life miserable. It's always, always, always other people. Yeah. It's never me. It's always other people. Other people will hinder the ministry. People other than you. People other than me. There are always going, and here's the thing, there are always going to be other people. And part of the reason why ministry is so difficult, serving the church is so difficult, is because of other people. But if it weren't for other people, we wouldn't have a ministry. One, we wouldn't be here because we're somebody else's other person. I would not have anybody listening to me. I'd be talking to an empty room. I would not get any feedback. You would not get any feedback. There'd be no teams. There'd be no, no friendships. There'd be no Sunday school classrooms. There'd be no accountability. People are the ministry, and they lead the ministry, and they are what ministry is because ministry literally is service, right? So while other people hinder the ministry, they are also vital to the existence of ministry. So today and next week, we're going to be talking about other people in a way that prepares us for how other people do hinder what God wants to do sometimes. The second thing that we need to make sure we understand hinders the ministry, which we'll spend time a couple weeks away, is how we ourselves, how we get in the way of ministry, right? We, our internal tendencies, the, the struggles that we have. Oh, let me list a few, <laughs> Our argumentative spirit, narcissism, pride, deceit, envy, an unsubmissive spirit, a suspicious spirit, jealousy, hypocrisy, other evil tendencies, comparison, what they got, I got, they are this, I'm not, an ego. And the list could go on and on, but there are so many internal things that get in the way of ministry. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that in a couple of weeks. And then lastly, uh, unexpected circumstances. What I mean by that is, is this, things you did not see coming that get in the way of ministry. Things like you get a report from the doctor that you did not see that coming. 
Things like your spouse leaves and you did not see that coming. There could be tragedy in your city or in your church that changes things, just changes the way people think. The economy sometimes does that in towns and cities. Another thing that changes, changes in, in ministry is feeling like we fit. Right? Whether, whether you're a pastor or a lay leader or someone who just attends a church, right? feeling like we belong matters. And sometimes things change that we just don't fit. We feel like we don't fit. And so, so in unexpected circumstances, it's just sometimes something happens along the way. Either it's us or it's them or just something totally unrelated to people. We just don't fit there anymore. And so that hinders the ministry. Unexpected circumstances. So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Today we're going to get back to other people because I'm going to start there because that seems more fun, right? right? It seems more fun to talk about other people, you know, and how it's, it's not our fault. Personal responsibility, let's put that down the list, okay? Uh, but I'm also going to end with that because I also think that's probably the most important. But other people, they do hinder the ministry. They do. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. In fact, I don't want to make us depressed, but I want us to feel a little sad as we walk through this story together this morning. I, I, I really do. I really want you to feel sad that this is a, this is a true thing, that people men, hinder the ministry. I, I want you to like, really embrace the feelings here. Right? I'm not a really f- big feeling person, but I, I really want you to. So let's go together to the book of Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles or your tablets or, 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 or whatever it is you use to, to read the word, go ahead and go there. Some of the words will be on the screen. But in Acts chapter 9, we, we see this chapter famously as Paul's conversion. Praise the Lord. Paul turns to Jesus Christ and starts to serve him. But I, I really want us to read it together and, and just walk through it together this morning. And I'm hoping the Lord speaks to us through it. In the first couple of verses, we see this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the Apostle Paul is converted in chapter 9. The year is around A.D. 35, so not that long after Jesus has died and rose again, right? Around 30, 33 Right, Jesus' death, how they all dated it back to You can't find anybody who agrees on the dates uh, in, in, in the books because they, they argue about calendars and stuff like that. But let's just say it's a few years after Jesus has died. So the church has had a little bit of time to grow and, and expand a little bit, right? And here's Paul, right? He's engaged in acts of murder, terrorism, hatred towards the Lord and God's church. This is Paul we're talking about. You should despise him. You should fear him. You would not want him in your town. You would not want him coming here today because he is coming here to arrest you and me and put us away, put us to death. That's what we should feel as we're reading these words, those kinds of things. In verse 3, we go on. Now, as Paul went on his way, he approached Damascus. 
And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is God talking to him, by the way. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise, enter the sitting, and you will be told what you are to do. People who were traveling with Paul, Saul at this point, uh, with him stood speechless because they heard a voice, but they didn't see anybody. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and, were brought, and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. In these few verses, God got the attention of Paul. And for three days, Paul was pretty well dependent on God and others. He'd never been blind before, now he can't see. Right? Blind people, over time, they do some pretty remarkable things. They learn to adapt. But when you are instantly blind, you, you're not, you don't know how to adapt that fast. So Paul's having to be led by the hand, shown where he is. He can't see anything. All he can do is hear the things. But he, again, he is totally dependent. And here's what I want to just kind of take a moment to emphasize. God sometimes allows you and me to go through things to get our attention. Right? Sometimes prevent, God prevents us from going through hard times. Sometimes he heals. Sometimes he, he prevents consequences. But sometimes he lets us go through things to get our attention. And, Paul, and God does that here. He allows Paul to experience this hardship. And, and, and what we learn is God wanted Paul and wanted Paul's attention. Right? God changed the trajectory of Paul's life on this day. And a second point I just want to make sure we understand is God can change people's lives. I know, I know it sounds redundant to hear at church, but man, God can change people's lives. Even terrorists, even hateful people, even murderers. He can change their life. So we gotta, we got to make sure we don't forget that. we got to make sure we don't forget that those who are different than us, those who are our enemies, that God can change their life. And then also remember that God changed our life at one point. Here's something to take notes on. Do you feel like God has no purpose for you because of all the things you've done? This story is one to read over and over again. Paul did not deserve it to be called by God. He was an enemy of God, working totally against him. Everything that he did should have ruled him out for this job. But God says, no, I want you to go. And you, Paul, without all, without all the years of seminary and licensing and experience, you're going to go, Paul, and you're going to serve me. Another thing to think about is, do you ever look at people and feel there's no hope for them because of what they've done? Paul is an example that always should remind us to be careful to make permanent judgments about people. Because God can still change people from one thing to another because that's the way God is. 
The story goes on like this in chapter verses 10. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, right? Paul's headed to Damascus. There's Ananias there. And God talks to Ananias, right? Ananias, here I am, Lord. And the Lord says to them, I want you to get up. I want you to go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man named Tarsus from, from Tarsus named Saul. Ananias already knew who this guy was. He was a murderer. He was looking for Ananias. Right? And so Ananias is like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. And, and, and especially because Paul has authority to come and hunt us down. Right? But Ananias obeys and he goes and he, and he goes there. And here's what the Lord says to him. Go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God tells Ananias, Go. Ananias didn't want to. Here's a side note. Sometimes God calls you and I to do things that are not safe, that are not comfortable, that are not normal, that do not humanly make sense. I like things to make sense and be in order. I don't want God to call me to go and do something where I could die or be thrown in jail. In verse 16, though, is where the story wraps up. And this is the point, this is the part of the story that we kind of miss. Usually in Acts chapter 9, we're like, we're like, Saul gets saved, praise the Lord. He let, writes a bunch of letters to the churches. It's amazing. What an amazing guy. What an amazing thing that you did, Saul. What an amazing thing that you did, God, by getting a hold of Saul and converting him into Paul, a great leader for us to follow. But here's one of the things we often miss, and that's verse 16. And I want us just to read it slowly. So God's still talking, and he says, I will show him, I will show Paul how much Paul must suffer for the sake of my name. I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Right? It's great. Paul, you're chosen. Great. You're a leader. Great. You're a great communicator. Amazing. You did amazing things for the churches. We read your word all the time. It's scripture to us. God has, has, has breathed it, and, and it's something that changes their lives. But look, Paul, 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 join my team, and you'll suffer. Come on, God. I mean, that's not a good sell tactic. Join my team, and it's going to be hard. And this is the part that's missing a lot of times. God calls us to follow him. And we should not be surprised when things aren't easy. But a lot of times it's different. A lot of times we we think we're more surprised when things do get difficult. Flash forward about 21 years, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Five times at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst without food and cold and exposure. And on top of those things, also the pressure 
and anxiety of for all the churches. This passage was written around the year 67. So from 35-ish to around 67, this great man, Paul, suffered at the hands of the people, at the hands of other people who tried their best to get in the way. Some of them did it on purpose. Some of them didn't know they were getting in the way. Some of them were just totally ignorant to what they were doing. Right? This list of things that we just read, woven throughout all of them, are people, right? Paul didn't get stoned by nobody. He wasn't left alone. He wasn't imprisoned by nobody. People were involved. Other people. Towards the end of Paul's life, he writes this letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5, Paul writes this. Understand this, Timothy. In the end of days, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People, people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. They will be proud. They will be arrogant. They will be abusive. They will be disobedient to their parents. (laughs) They will be ungrateful. They will be unholy. They will be heartless. They will be unappeasable. They'll be slanderous. They will have no self-control. They'll be brutal. They will not love good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Not all of these people were Paul's enemies. Some of these were the church. Now, here's the fun part. Let's make a list of the people who have gotten in the way of God's ministry. Let's make, a, let's make a list of people that have gotten our way. Don't do this, by the way. Don't go home and do this. If a therapist tells you to do this, don't listen to them. But just for fun, let's walk through the Bible and talk about some people that got in the way of other people. There was Abel. Abel had Cain. Cain got in the way of Abel, didn't he? Abraham had Lot. Esau had Jacob, who swindled him out of his birthmark. Joseph had his brothers, who sold him and abandoned him and lied about him. Moses had Pharaoh and Aaron and all those Hebrew people who constantly complained over and over and over again. Joshua had Achan, David had Saul, who was insanely jealous, David Absalom, who turned on him. David, by the way, David's family was messed up. (laughs) His own family got in the way of his ministry, of his service, of his, of his, Hosea had a, had a wife, couldn't stay faithful. Job had his so-called counselors, and then there's Jesus, right? Herod, from the very beginning, trying to even just stop him from being born. He had the scribes and the Pharisees that despised him and tried to trick him and arrest him and get him, get him turned in every chance they got. Judas, one of his disciples, betrayed him. Here's the point. As we've repeated this truth over and over and over and over and over again, 
It should not surprise us when other people enter God's ministry. It should not be a surprise. We should, we should, we should despise this fact that it's truth. I don't even like to say it out loud. Right? When I was trying to put this together, I was like, how do I make this upbeat? You just can't. You just can't. But I, 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 I don't want us to, as the church to not realize that there are sometimes going to be people who get in the way of what God's wanting to do. And, and it also shouldn't surprise us that sometimes it's saved people who get in the way of God's church and God's ministry. And sometimes we're going to have to suffer through a lot of things. And sometimes we're going to have to suffer through things that get in the way of God's ministry. And sometimes the thing that gets in the way of God's ministry is people that isn't us. I wish this wasn't real, but it's real. People are going to work against you. People are going to disrespect you. People are going to doubt you. They're going to work against you. They're going to conspire. They're going to be envious of your success. They're going to shove you down when you fail. They're not going to be the majority of God's people. They're not even going to be the majority of human beings. But you're going to remember them as if they are the majority because of how it hurts you. I mean, think about it. The small crowd that makes the most noise always gets heard. And when we're hurt by a few amount of people, it, 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 it hurts so big that we then project those feelings on everybody else around us, don't we? It's going to be real for you. It's going to come. And it's going to happen. And as great as San Angelo First Church of the Nazarene is, we are not, we are not so perfect that this is not going to happen to us. And this part of Paul's story is often missed because I think it's a little depressing, isn't it? People get in the way of God's ministry. This is a hard truth to hopefully prepare us to kick through the door as God leads our church forward when these things pop up. Now, here's the good news. God is with us. He is not leaving us through these days. Right? People might get in the way, but they can't stop God. And they can't stop us when God is with us. Right? God is constantly working out the wrinkles in all of this thing that we call human beings. Right? He's, he's hopefully, if I let him, changing me and helping me to grow and me to get better. And he's hopefully doing the same thing in your life. And you're growing in your obedience to him every single day. Day. And while we as a group may suffer, it does not mean we should be depressed. Like I mentioned at the beginning, God is already working in your life, in our life. It, it is one of those things that you're seeing it, you're going to experience, you're going to feel it in this place, you're going to feel it in our town. But as, the God, as God works and people are obedient to him, the enemy is going to try to stir us up and distract us from those truths. He's going to stir the part and he's going to pot and he's going to try to get us to turn on each other. And he's going to try to think, well, that other person over there is in the way. And, and he's going to try to rise someone up and, and, and make them think that they're doing something good and really they're going to be causing trouble. The enemy's going to do that to us. So, so we need to be ready and be wise and be prepared for it. So here it is. Maybe today, uh, band, you guys can go ahead and come. Maybe today, 
somebody heard the story of Paul getting saved. And you want some sort of, and you've never had that drastic transformation in your life where one day you're working against God and the next day you're working for God. Maybe you've never accepted him. Maybe that's why you're here today. Please don't leave today without having that conversation with God. The second thing I want to say is maybe there are those of you who you're experiencing those other people that we've been talking about all morning. Those people who, co-workers, friends, family, and they're working against you. They're hindering what God is wanting to do. And you need God to help you. And you really want God to take care of them, don't you? David prayed all the time, take care of my enemies. Take care of my enemies. But maybe that's you and you need God's help. But maybe you also need God's help to remember that they're people too. And for you to be able to show love and grace to them in the midst of this tension that has come up. Thirdly, there may be some of you in the room who God's kind of talked to you because you're kind of the other person. I don't know. But maybe you know. Maybe the Lord revealed something in you some way where you're the person who's causing issues. Whether it was accidental, whether it was intentional, on purpose, maybe just out of ignorance. But you're the person who, who, who is kind of working against what's going on. Maybe you need to Listen to God today. Maybe something else totally unrelated to anything we talked about. I want us to not get distracted because God is moving. And next we're going to talk about how to deal with those other people. We're going to talk about how to deal with them in a loving way. But please, if God's talked to you about something today and you need to, we're going to open the altars. The band's going to play. It's a good chance for you to respond. Uh, this morning. Can I pray before us? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. And while we talked about a hard truth that none of us want to admit or say very much, help us to be wise but loving. Help us to understand the truth of this with your grace. And help us to be your people going forward. Lord, I'm so thankful for how you're working in the life of our church. And do not let the enemy get in the way of what you're doing. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.